programs welcome to another exciting episode of big in japan hey what's up guys this is derek derek wc i'm going to be one of your hosts tonight but i am not alone i am here joined by two count them two of my fellow ultra force members why don't you guys give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight hey this is ultraman justin and this is tony ultraman Saltwater? Alien pods invade the Earth. Fiendish monsters threaten mankind. From a secret fortress, the Ultra Team flies into action. Three Top Gun pilots pushing their skills to the limit. And as a last resort, they turn on the ultimate power. The power of Ultraman. You've never seen anyone like Ultraman. So yeah, we're we're here uh, at my behest. I thought it would be fun. I, I don't often make picks on Big in Japan, but I thought it would be fun to discuss a anime film, a TV film called Ultraman The Adventure Begins. And this was an animated movie that was joint produced by Hanna-Barbera and Tsuburaya Productions in 1987. And it was animated by both Studio Sign and Ashi Productions. And you may be familiar with some of their works. We recently discussed one of them, Vampire Hunter D, for instance. And they were also responsible for Machine Robo, Macross 7, and Beast Wars 2nd and Neo. Oh, boy. So the movie was titled Ultraman USA for its Japanese release in 1989. And the movie, of course, was intended as a backdoor pilot for an animated series, but unfortunately no such series ever emerged. However, the costumes, based on the three main heroes, the Ultra Force, were made for use in stage shows in Japan. And I sort of cribbed a synopsis that's pretty short, not a Justin-style synopsis, but, but almost a Justin-style synopsis, that Yay. covers what happens in in the the film and then Justin Tony and myself are going to talk about it a little bit. So Scott, Chuck and Beth, a trio of Air Force pilots known as the Flying Angels, experience a strange burst of light during a stunt show. In spite of their planes crashing, they emerge unharmed. They are soon contacted by an elderly man in his late 60s named Walter Freeman, who is the groundskeeper of a Pebble Beach golf course. He informs the trio that they've become the host forms of the three alien warriors from Utara, the M78 Nebula, who have arrived to protect the planet from a group of monsters from the planet Sorkin. The three pilots become the members of a group called the Ultra Force, headquartered within Mount Rushmore. 
They are equipped with futuristic fighter ships, and when in great danger, they assume the forms of an Ultraman, a gigantic red and silver superhuman being to battle the monsters. After defeating or relocating all of the Sorkin monsters, the warriors remain on Earth to protect it from future peril. The end. And that is the hopefully short and sweet synopsis for Ultraman The Adventure Begins, a.k.a. Ultraman USA. So, yeah, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, I enjoy the Ultramans. I, I like watching the Ultramans. And, you know, I I am a fan of some of the anime versions of Ultraman. And this is, was one of them. And since it was kind of a film, I figured it was a short and sweet thing to watch and talk about and discuss. And, you know, I've got a bunch of notes on the, the film itself. But I guess for myself, the, the best thing I can tell you is what I know about myself as far as Ultraman goes is we, we've talked a lot about Ultraman on our our sister show, Toku Thursdays. And one of the series that I know Tony and Justin are familiar with that I really that, that sort of got me majorly into Ultraman was a show called Ultraman Nexus. And that came out in 2004. And based on that and based on the fact that Mega Monster Battle Ultra Galaxy Legend the movie, which I talked about with Luke Giaconetti on Earth Destruction Directive long, long ago, that film came out in 2009. And I was fanboy enough to geek out when I saw the Ultra Force in Mega Monster Battle because they were some of the Ultra Warriors that were fighting against Ultraman Belial. So I know for sure that I didn't know who the Ultra Force were, and I had never seen Ultraman The Adventure Begins or Ultraman USA in 2004, but somewhere in between 2004 and 2009, I know I saw some kind of VHS rip from the interwebs or something that you know, I was able to watch this whole film. And so I, I, I knew enough by 2009 to geek out when I saw them like live, you know, that was the first time I had ever, I, I didn't know about the, I guess, you know, they, they, they had stunt shows and, and, and featurettes that featured these characters in live action, you know, with suit actors and stuff. But I, I didn't know about any of that. So the first time I ever saw them in live action was the ultra galaxy legend movie and so that was something that i sort of fanboyed out about so that's basically what i can tell you as far as my history goes like i watched this at some point on the interwebs between 2004 and 2009 i enjoyed it i thought i'd share it with the class and and we could you know talk about it and everything the other thing that was kind of cool was i guess a blu-ray release that came out rather recently so this version that we watched is really cleaned up it's really really nice looking it's not like the vhs rip so i thought this is the best possible way to experience this and i figured you know what what better way to do it than with a nice clean you know blu-ray kind of hd copy of this and i don't know i don't know maybe that's to its detriment i don't know maybe we'll hear from the guys you know because you can see all the the flaws in the anime or whatever but you know I, I i don't know what they're gonna say i don't know if anybody's seen this before i don't know if this is the first time for people i think it's the first time for tony i'm not sure about justin 
but just curious, like opening it up to you guys. Have you ever seen this before? And I guess what's your initial reaction? I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm not the biggest Ultraman fan. Not because I don't think it's good. I just, there's some things you fall into. I'm sure Justin has much more knowledge than I do. This really hit me out of nowhere, though, because of what I've seen of Ultraman. This was very American. This was <laughs> very American. The the Hanna-Barbera influence was, like, kind of there. It's like It kind of reminded me of, like, the Sunbow animation, where they're like, don't make it look too anime, you know? <laughs> like, you know, you can have, like, you can have that Japanese influence. And also that that kind of, like, was in with the kaiju or the, the ultra beasts that they fought. Some of them were, like, just, like, tentacles and, and, and a face, something you can't do in live action. And then there's, like, the big, like, you know, steel monster with, like, the, the power core in his head and stuff. You know, and then there's another creature later on, which we'll get to. This definitely seemed like very much something I wasn't expecting when you suggested this. I was like, okay, it's Ultraman, okay. Oh, it's animated, okay, that's cool. It's gonna be very anime, and it's like it's it's really got like a lot of Western flavor to it. Obviously, it's dubbed, so I mean, obviously, there's that you know from the get go, but also there's there's a lot of Western tropes here, as well as as like you know anime tropes. So it's like kind of interesting, you know. It's like I, I was caught off guard is the best way to say it. As for me, like, I am fairly sure I saw this when I was very little. I can't, like, with uh, 100%, like, clarity say that and be confident in that, but I'm pretty sure I, I did. Kind of like Derek, I definitely saw a crappy VHS rip. I think for me it would have been, like, 2008, maybe 2009. And when I watched it back then, I, I was like, I, you know, I got that thing in the back of my mind where I was like, have I seen this at some point? And I started thinking back and I was like, you know, maybe because in the late 80s, early 90s, my uncle had a, a VHS rental store and we would go there and get movies. And I, I feel like I maybe got it there because I would get cartoons there pretty often. And sometimes it would be stuff I knew like Scooby-Doo or, you know casper the friendly ghost or something and sometimes i would just you know i would want something different or something i wasn't familiar with and i would just be like hey look at you know this thing whatever it is i want to watch it and i would you know, go on and watch it if that's the case then this is probably my first exposure to ultraman because after that like i definitely watched ultra 7 on tnt and like i was by that point like i was a huge godzilla fan so anything with like you know men in rubber costumes and little sets and you know they were blowing shit up like anything like that i was just like oh what is this this is like godzilla and i remember ultra seven used to come on at like i don't know six in the morning or maybe six thirty in the morning and if i didn't like wake up on time like sometimes i would like set the vcr to record like right before i went to bed and i remember getting up and i'm like oh man i've got like an ultra seven to watch and i you know rewind the tape and it's like Someone had got up like super early and watched the news. So I had like the news instead of Ultra 7. I'm like, oh, damn. <laughs> what is this shit? I don't care about the, you know, right. Berlin Wall or whatever the shit it is. But yeah, like, like I said, I can't quite put my finger and say, like, yes, I definitely watched this when I was a little kid. But well, it's, it's, in, it's interesting because that does give us a timetable because the according to Wikipedia, this was released, I think, in the US on VHS in 1993. So that that would put it 
in the right time frame for what you're talking about, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think I watched any animated Ultraman until after 2004, you know, because, cause, like I said, Ultraman Nexus was what kind of kicked off, like, my major deep dive into Ultraman. Because before that, I mean, I, I have memories of seeing dubbed episodes of the original Ultraman, but other than that, I, I don't, you know, because I, I, I know I knew what Ultraman was, and then, you know, I think it was just sort of, you know, looking for something to watch and keying in on, you know, I think it was the whole, you know, I've gone into this story before, but the whole, you know, TV Nihon, you know, I was, I was probably getting, you know, translated episodes of the Armada trilogy at that point, you know, it was like what Galaxy Force and, and uh, whatever, what was Energon called? Whatever it was called, you know, like the, the, those, episodes and then i would see this other and i'd be like ultraman i remember ultraman i remember watching those dubs and i was like what's ultraman nexus and then i just started watching it and became really intrigued by it and and continued from there and then before you know it i was going to the the egyptian to watch you know ultraman the next in a theater and i was checking out all kinds of ultraman shows including the animated versions like these anime that they had and this was one of them and i i think tony's right i mean there there is definitely you know it, it is a joint production there is the the hanna barbera influence on it i i kind of tend to think like it, it's interesting because what this show reminds me of in a weird way at least the flavor of it it reminds me of in terms of the animation is like bionic six you know, like this idea of like there, there's that very clear influence that it's created by a Japanese studio, at least the animation is, but that the kind of Bible and even some aspects of the character design are still kind of still in-house with a Western, you know, American company or whatever. And so they all kind of, you know. I mean, I, I guess that that's kind of like my, my initial notes are mainly on the characters and then the monsters and things like that. But just, I mean, you know, Ultraman Scott is is a, a kid named Scott Masterson. He's voiced by Michael Lembeck, who was, I guess, most famous for being on One Day at a Time. And like to me, he's kind of like the Johnny Storm type, you know, he's hot for the girls. He, he likes this Dr. Rand scientist and arguably i would say he's the main character of the story there's chad everett who is ultraman chuck uh or chad everett voices ultraman chuck and then ultraman chuck is chuck gavin and of course chad everett's been in a shit ton of stuff but justin may remember him as old dean winchester in season five of supernatural either you want to tell me what happened bobby's an idiot that's what happened hey nobody asked you to play right i should have just let you die and for damn sure nobody asked you to lose it's like grumpy old man shut up sam and he's got a leader rank but i feel like he's more ben Grimm than reed richards you know like he's he's kind of like more of a big brother to ultraman scott than he is kind of like a I don't know, a father figure or something like that, or a, a brother-in-law or what, whatever, you know, that kind of thing. And then I was thinking about this. I was like, oh, I wonder if I could get Rob Kelly to watch the show because Ultra Woman Beth 
Beth O'Brien is voiced by Adrienne Barbeau, who of course was in tons of stuff, but you know, she was at Swamp Thing and Creep Show and Cannonball Run, and I know that's his favorite actress, so I was like, I wonder if I could con Rob Kelly into watching this. I'm like, your favorite actress is in Ultraman the Adventure Begins. <laughs> and then uh, Stacy Keach is the VA for Walter Freeman. And I feel like, you know, maybe like Walter Brimley was like busy doing cocoons. So they got Stacy Keach to do this voice or something. But Stacy Keach, of course, is a character actor. It was also in a shit ton of stuff. He was Carl Beaumont in Batman Mask of the Phantasm and in the Mike Hammer, like detective TV show and all that stuff. And for the doctor, Susan Rand, she's voiced by Lorna Patterson. And apparently she was the stewardess in Airplane. That's her claim to fame and everything. And, and I mean, those are those are kind of like the main human characters before we get into the robots and the monsters and all that other stuff. So, I mean, I, I'm just curious, like, you know, do you in, enjoy like these three lead characters? Like, I guess Tony's comments about it being westernized. Like, do you think the fact that like all of them are ultra men? Or ultra men and women like do you think that's a western influence because I, I i found myself thinking the main difference between this film slash pilot that may or may not have become a regular animated series the main difference to me felt like that in lieu of having like the science police and one member of the science police turns into ultraman or the science patrol sorry i'm confusing it with legion terminology but the, the, the science patrol, right? Like you, you had, you know, a group of like, you know, five or so characters, right? And they'd go out in the field to fight kaiju and find out what's going on with aliens and all this other stuff. But then, you know, one member of the science police, they become Ultraman or Ultra Seven or whoever, right? And in this case, it's not just one. It's like there's a trio of Air Force pilots and I love the whole Air Force pilot thing because it reminds me of Hal Jordan. It reminds me of Ultraman the Next, which is a film I'm a big fan of. And I always kind of say how I think that, you know, to me, it, it, it just reminds me a lot of Green Lantern and everything. And, and, and I, I think all of them being Air Force pilots like works for Ultraman for me, like just just where I come from with the character. Like, I think that works really well. But then, like, I'm trying to get to the point is all of them turn into Ultramen and women, not just... So it'd kind of be like if you had the science police in, like, the 60s Ultraman show, but, like, all five of them turned into Ultra characters. And I guess my question to Tony is, like, do you think that's a westernized aspect of it? Like, what what do you find that's that's Western-influenced versus what you're familiar with in terms of maybe the, the Japanese presentation of Ultraman. I, I guess like probably what probably sticks out, you know, especially from like, you know, kind of like Transformers the movie and maybe even G.I. Joe, like at this time frame, like in the eighties, is like, you know, Ultraman Scott is the main character. He he's he's impulsive. He's brash. He's gonna go out there and do this. And like usually in like Japan, like the impulsive guy is going to be the second rider. He's going to be like the you know the 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 sixth ranger or whatever. Usually like the more calm, competent you know guy. At this point, you know, in Common Rider or or Super Sentai, or or even Ultraman, like the the more like calm, collected commander 
or or the person who is like got a stoic personality is like the the main character. Usually, this impulsive guy is is kind of a Western trope. You know, it's like I'm the hot headed guy and I'm going to do this. And like in this, they do play it off very well though, because he's obviously very competent. He's he's obviously not just impulsive, but he's also like got the proper training, so it doesn't come off as bad. It doesn't. I think that was the problem with Rodimus. I think that was the problem with like you know. Hot Rod, like they didn't really set him up as like someone who could take Optimus Prime's place. But this dude, like Scott, he could totally lead the team, and he he you know totally does it. He he transforms like you know first, you know like he's the first guy who gets the Ultraman powers, and like you know like the the you know old leader, like he's like one of the last guys to actually do the Ultraman transform. I can't remember his battle or Scott, but I, but like Scott is definitely very early in into the game, you know. Yeah, I think, and it, I think it, Chuck it, doesn't do it until like third monster. So yeah, I think you're right about that. Yeah. So like like I I I think that's like where the the Western thing kind of comes in because a lot of audiences like the 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 loose cannon. The the well, it, it's funny though. Like I I see what you're doing, right? You're presenting that as a positive quality that like Scott got to be Ultraman first, but in the context of the show. It seems like when they crash or get their planes destroyed is when they turn into Ultramen and women. So in, in another, like if you looked at it playing devil's advocate, you know, it's like Scott is the loose cannon and technically he'd be the first to die if he didn't have ultra powers. Whereas I guess if Chuck is the the older, wiser leader, you know, more more experienced character it makes sense that he's the last to turn into Ultraman because he's the last to have his jet fighter fucked up. You know what I mean? Like, from, from that perspective. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. I mean, you know, like, but, like, yeah, but, I mean, you know, that just is, is I, I think as far as, like, the the Western audience, I think, like, you know, if you're if you're a kid in 1987, you're, you're, you're probably going to like Scott. You're probably going to oh, yeah, yeah. like, yeah. Shit, yeah. I'm, I'm not a kid, and I like Scott. Scott's into the girls, and... <laughs> <laughs> you know, he to me, I mean, like I said, that's why I, I kind of said ostensibly he's he's the main character, right? Like, I mean, th- 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 to me, there was some confusion at first too because I was like, well, is he the lead pilot? And I guess I guess yeah, Chuck, yeah. Chuck, I yeah. think Chuck was intended to be the lead pilot, but it's like you know, it, again, that's why I kind of describe him as like Johnny Storm in the Fantastic Four. He's just got that, like you said, that hot headed outgoing personality that just puts him at the forefront of all the action and everything that's going on. So of course, if you're, you know, whether you're a kid or you're, you know, just a, uh, you know, I don't know, a, a, a machismo kind of adult man, you know, like you can relate to, to that kind of, you know, guy who's like jumping in the middle of all the action, you know, wants to, to do the do daring and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I, I kind of get that. I can kind of see where, you know, you might get the notion that having three characters who each turn into an ultra, like that could be a Western thing. Cause you know, usually, or especially in Showa era, you have one Ultraman. you might have someone show up as a guest star on occasion, you know, like Ultraman Leo, you know, you've got ultra seven, like he gets mm-hmm. hurt in the very first episode. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like harsh master from, kill bill 
But towards the end of the series, his leg heals, and he's finally back as Ultra 7, so you get a little bit of Ultra 7 towards the end. And then you've also got Leo's brother, Astra. So that's kind of like the most, you know, aside from like those special episodes where like all the Ultra brothers show up for like a two-parter, like that's kind of like the most Ultras you, I think you get. I like there you've got like Leo and then Ultra 7 and then Ultraman Astra. So yeah, I can kind of see the point of like, like, hey, you know, instead of having just like one Ultraman, what could be better than one Ultraman? Three Ultramans, one of them's a lady. Do it, yeah, Larry. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I could see that. I mean, that that's kind of I, I don't I don't know. Like I kind of I kind of feel like that is that that Hanna Barbera influence to it. You know that it's like, and and especially for an animated show for kids, because I mean, think about when when you were a kid, like you wanted to watch the the last five minutes where Ultraman beats the fuck out of the monster or Ultra Seven you know, yeah. viciously chops the monster into fucking chop suey like he always does, right? Like, you you wanted to be around for that moment. And all the lead-up to it, you know, it's like watching Bruce Banner, you know, hitchhike across the fucking highway. It's like, come on, get on with being the Hulk. You know, when you're a little kid, you're like, get on with dressing up as <laughs> Superman or Spider-Man or whatever it is. Like, that's what I'm here to see. And, and it's always the same thing, like, get on with just being Ultraman. And I think with this, it's like, oh, great. Like, like it, it's almost in a weird way to me. And, and I know some people hate Godzilla Final Wars, but it's got that Godzilla Final Wars vibe of like, guess what? There's no boring bullshit in between the monster scenes. It's all this kooky-ass, matrixy, like, bullet time, like, action, you know, motorcycle chases. Like, and who cares what it has to do with the story? But at least it's not just, you know people running around on an island you know running away from fucking lobster sea monsters or you know what i mean like it's not just like this this kind of tired ass boring bullshit that that you're like get on with the the kaiju fight or whatever it's like there's actually stuff that's fun to watch where you're like oh like to me like it evokes you know things like robotech you know like where it's like oh there's 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 guys they're in fighter planes they're going after you know, monsters and 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 that in and of itself has a, to me, a level of excitement where you feel like it could hold the interest of your, you know, your your children, you know, your your male audience from ages, you know, whatever it is, like five to twelve or whatever this was intended for and stuff like that. I will say that of the robot trio, there are three different robots in this so i guess what could be better than one robot or two robots but three robots they must be great right and one of them is ulitoid model zq14582 and they decide to name him andy and he's the smallest robot and i was like is it me or does he scream like the precursor to alpha 5 from power rangers like like, oh, yeah. Andy is Alpha 5, sort of, right? And uh, I thought it was funny. He's voiced by Charlie Adler, who's done a shit ton of voiceover work. He was Low Light on G.I. Joe. He was Buster Bunny on Tiny Toons. And he was Starscream in Bayformers. So, Andy was Starscream in Bayformers. I, I, then, think, I, yeah, yeah. I think Andy, Ulysses, and Samson are, are very Hanna-Barbera very yeah yeah or or even i mean maybe like uh uh like the whole 
you know, GeForce Gotcha Man thing where they felt the need to throw in, you know, their own R2-D2 into the whole mix. You know, it's like we got to have a we got to have an R2-D2 and a C-3PO in this for the kids to be interested. And that's that's still the effects of, you know, maybe Star Wars or something like that, which is weird to me because Ulysses is the thin kind of emaciated looking robot in orange. And you'd think he would have sort of the effeminate voice, but he is in fact voiced by William Calloway, who was Aquaman on Super Friends. And he actually kind of sounds the opposite of how he appears. The, the, the skinny kind of emaciated one sounds kind of like he has a superhero voice or, or at least an intimidated booming voice. And then Samson, who you'd think would be super strong and, and have that sort of intimidating manly voice, like he's big and strong in appearance, but then he's voiced by Ronnie Shell, who I guess is best known in Gomer Pyle as Duke Slater. And he sounds completely opposite to his appearance. He's the one that sounds sort of effeminate. Like it, it, it's like, it, it's almost like if, Tankor had the voice of C-3PO or something, you know, like where you're like, it just, there's something about it where you're like, are you sure they didn't miscast these guys or like, should they not swap those guys? But it, it just, it seemed really like they, they were going against type or trying to, dare I say, subvert your expectations with the casting, uh, the voice actor casting on those characters because they, they, they don't look like they sound basically. I, I will say, like the 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 character designs for them are 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 fine. They're they're a little cartoony, and and that's fine. And and the Ultra Force jets, I think, are really cool looking. They look they look like you know like shooter fighters or or like you said like Macross jets. I don't like the carrier design. It's really clunky and weird looking and. That's definitely a Subaraya thing because you see that design in some of the very early Ultraman shows. I mean, it, I mean, I get what you're saying. I don't care for that design either. It's like this huge, like this kind of skinny, gangly looking thing, and it's got a lot of like wings that are kind of swept back and everything. And you're like, how is this thing like an effective kaiju fighter? But basically, that design you're seeing there is like redefined from like a live action. Thing. I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess that's fair. But yeah, I just like when I when I saw it, I saw like I saw the the forward like. I guess bridge or hull section. I'm like, oh, this is gonna be a big badass ship. Then it took off, and I'm like, oh my god, it's like a weird ass vulture. Just got a huge head and like these little skinny ass little wings and shit. I don't know. It just every other design was fine. Like you know, I, I was I was cool with that. Oh, I, I was uh, that was the one thing I was gonna ask you, Derek, uh, or are you Justin? Like as far as this goes, is like you know. I am not as familiar with the Ultraman design aesthetic. Do you, do you did you guys like the, the the three main characters, like how they looked in their Ultraman final, you know, design when they came out? Yeah, I don't have a problem with them. I think the only thing that kind of I think is a little unusual is they're they've got like that star on their belt, and I'm like, oh, I don't, you know. No, no, I don't think any Ultraman at that point had like a star on his belt. Kind of like what Derek was saying earlier. Like, I think it's really neat that those designs like translated really well into like live action suits. Like you kind of see them like anytime there's like any kind of like big scene where there's like, you know, the camera pans across and you've got like a bunch of ultras. 
I think they're basically like, okay, what Ultra suits do we have in storage? Or okay, we've got the Ultraman Scott and the Ultrawoman Beth, you know, suits from like a stage show from six years ago. Okay, put someone in the suit, put them in the background, and then have them like get zapped and fall over. Like that's usually where they show up. But I, I think those designs, they work really well in this. And I think they translated really well into like a live action suit too. I think it's fun because they all, the thing that's that's nice about it is even though they're all Ultramen, like they all look unique and have their own flair, you know, to them where, you know, like it, it's funny, like, like you, you almost kind of know Scott's the young kid because he's almost got like that little, I don't know, ponytail curl lick thing or whatever that comes up uh, off like the back of his helmet, like like it's almost like this little, like you know, green wet behind the ears spit curl thing or something, like which most Ultramen don't have. And then you know, the idea, like I, I don't know, Chuck has a bit more of the Zoffy kind of design because he's got those those kind of studs. bullet studs or whatever yeah. in his chest and everything. So it, I, I, I it, it's almost like Ultraman shorthand for he's the the senpai or the uh -huh. senior kind of guy of the trio and then beth i mean it, it, you know maybe it's obvious but it's like that that idea of like you know someone like ultra mother has a similar you know visual facial feature and so you you become accustomed to like the shorthand for you know that's that's what a female you know, Ultra Woman Beth, that's what she would look like because that, that's kind of like she's almost like a younger, sleeker, you know, more in her prime version of Ultra Mother. And you're like, well, that, you know, that makes sense, right? So, like, all of those things seem to translate well. And I think it, it like I said, it's helpful that they're all, they, they each have their unique flair that separates them as well. So it doesn't become this kind of, I don't know, monotonous thing, this whole, like, you, you, you're never mistaking one of the characters for the other, whereas I think where they fall into the trappings, like, where I got confused was, like, when they were initially Air Force pilots, and they were all in the U.S. jets, like, all the U.S. jets looked the same, so for a while I was like, is Scott in the lead, is Chuck in the lead, like, what's going on, like, maybe I'm not following it, and they tried to, they tried to designate it for you by having them have the smoke and the smoke like the 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 yellow smoke was for beth and the the red smoke i think was for scott and the blue smoke was for chuck and then and then it's much more helpful when they're in those ultra jets that i guess tony was kind of questioning because if you look at the cockpits the cockpits match all those colors. So then from that point, it was a lot, even though the jets looked identical, except for the cockpit, I could at least then say, oh, look, the blue cockpit, that's Chuck, and the yellow cockpit is Beth, and they're staying behind to fight the Bialante-looking, you know, plant monster, whereas, you know, the red cockpit is Scott, and he's going off to San Francisco to fight the the kind of war Greymon-looking you know, monster or whatever, right? Like, so that, that to me, that that slowly helped me out. And I guess, what, I guess what I'm getting at is, by the time they're ultra men, like, you, there's no question you can easily 
tell the three of them apart, which I think is very helpful. And I, I, I guess maybe it's it's worth talking about, like, because I, I don't know, like, I, I guess I just accepted this as a trope, but I don't know if this bothered you guys or not. But I, I always thought it was kind of funny, like, the way they transform is because their jets either explode, crash, or get, like, submerged in, like, I don't know, lava or acid or whatever it is. Oh, like, they, so, they have a Hulk moment, yeah. They're like, <laughs> yeah. Well, well, yeah, I mean, they have the transformation moment. But I guess I, I guess what I'm getting at is I, I think even within the context of this quote-unquote movie, you, even, you know, if you decided to separate it into maybe, like, four 22-minute cartoon episodes or something, and then they continued to have a series, I get the vibe, like, that would have been a trope that continued where their planes would be fine at the beginning of every episode, but at the, you know, 17 minute mark or whatever it is, their planes would all explode. They turn into Ultraman. They'd have to like walk home or get on the little carrier cruiser to get home. But then the next time they needed planes, there would be fucking planes. So it's either, it, I mean, again, not like you're supposed to think about this too much, but either it's just a magic trick so that when they turn into Ultraman and then transform back, the plane is fine again, or they're like fucking Star Trek Voyager and they have like an infinite amount of replicated fucking planes like in Mount Rushmore, like forever and ever and ever. But I don't know if you guys even bought, you know thought about that or didn't care, but, but it was just something that had occurred to me. I never well, even well, thought well. of that. Well, well, Scott says at one at one point when he gets shot down by War Greymon, he's like, "Well, I guess I got to walk home now." Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's like, he yeah, had yeah. to take the thing, but but you'll notice he had the plane after that, right? Because yeah. they all have to fight the subsequent monsters after the War Greymon looking thing, right? Like so, so it's not like he didn't, he wasn't without a plane for the entirety of the movie. He wasn't True. walking home the whole movie. Like at some point, he, he either he either got a new plane that they just didn't go into detail about, or it's part of the magic trick that like once I don't know, you know, who knows? Maybe it's like Wally West. Like maybe when when Ultraman Scott transforms back into Scott uh, uh, Scott Masterson and he he eats some uh, some lunch or whatever and, and gets a full belly, then all of a sudden the plane like regenerates in the hangar or some shit, and he can go off and do it all over again or whatever. But anyway, I I don't know. I was just thinking about fun stuff like that i guess yeah. i have a question for you derek yes yes i know how you feel about ultraman cosmos how did you feel about science doctor lady like wanting to talk to all the monsters while they're so, wrecking so, the so, city so this is interesting like i i think what chuck says is valid you can go tell dr so-and-so to stick it up her ass if <laughs> if the monster is like you know harming people uh -huh. and and society but i get look look the the little guy Zoom, the guy's name is Zoom. That's the little like they call it a dragon, but I'm like, dude, it's a little hungry hippo with fucking fairy wings. <laughs> it's not a dragon, right? Yeah. Like it's so disarming. It's it's so the only reason why it's a threat is because it's big. It's 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 a baby. Mm -hmm. It doesn't understand what it's doing, and so it's, it's accidentally. It's awkward. Yeah. It's accidentally tripping up on stuff, and 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 ironically, I think because probably because because Chuck was trying to treat it with kid gloves, he does get his plane wrecked by Zoom, right? And and yes, the whole aspect of 
treating the monsters humanely and having conversations with them is very, very Ultraman Cosmos. But I think the difference is, to me, this feels more like it's inspired by Meekless or like the capsule kaiju from Ultra 7, or even like somebody like Pigmon. Like it's not, mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're creatures, like, like I wouldn't be surprised if Zune, they, they go to Zune's planet where they, they you know how they, they relocate him to like a happy planet where he can just eat and not be preyed on and just be happy for the rest of his life. Like I wouldn't be surprised if, in some, you know, if, had this continued, if there was some future episode where, guess what? We need help because there's a bunch of other dumb babies falling into to buildings in some episode. It's like, lo, let's go to, you know, planet Bizarro Zune and get Zune again and bring him back so he can teach all these other fucking wacky hippo children with fairy wings like how to behave. And then they bring them all. You know what I mean? Like, like I could, I could see something like that happening. So I'm okay with I'm okay with there being one example where look we we don't kill everything when when it it is just clearly like not a threat like like all it needed was to be relocated and everything like that whereas but but I mean the whole Biolanti guy the his name is Green Shocks like when 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 the scientist comes up, is like, oh, we wanted to talk to that thing. You just blow it up, like man. And I'm just kind of like, did you see all the yeah. fucked up buildings around here, lady? Like, do you see like like all these people cheering because they 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 were nearly gonna be killed? Like like that's something different, right? Like like of the four monsters, three of them were fucking lethal, evil fucking <laughs> things, right? And and it's like, dude, that's seventy five percent, man. Like like, you can't be Ultraman Cosmos hippie with a seventy five percent ratio of evil fucking mon like you you have to destroy the evil monsters and it's fine for this the twenty five percent if it's an eighty twenty rule like okay fine for the twenty percent that are good monsters we could relocate them and they could go be happy hungry hippos wherever the fuck they want to be, but not not a hundred percent of the time like you can't you can't communicate with green shocks though the war Greymon looking thing was called garubala day i guess so whatever anyway they yeah. don't say any of these names in the the thing but that's what its designation is right like those things were deadly like they were going to destroy new orleans and san francisco like like they would have destroyed those cities so well, and all the yeah, people well, in them Right, so one of, them, one of them refused to die and was kept fighting. He was like, "I will fucking kill you." Yeah, right, right. So, so like, there's no question about that. And then, and then it's even proven too because, because you know, they they think, okay, well, they killed the first two, and then if you think like, okay, well, they 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 relocated and and saved the third one, right? And she thinks the doctor thinks they're gonna do the same thing with the fourth monster, but it turns out it's like. It's like a fucking mogwai or some shit. Like, it shows up, it's all cute, they feed it after midnight, and then it turns into a fucking inhumanoid and, like, yeah. totally tries to wreck <laughs> the city, right? So it's uh, like it's like she fell for the baby Yoda shit, and it turned out it was fucking, you know, I don't know, the, the, the crazy fucking monster from Spider-Man hooky or whatever, you know, like, and it's just like, Jesus Christ. Like, like it, it, it's like, that's the worst one. And I guess the baby form is called Wylon. 
and then it transforms into King Myra. And so King Myra was like the biggest threat in the whole movie yeah. basically and then they, they at the end they pull like a superman and throw its ass into the sun and fucking do the specium beams on it as it's going into the sun you know so it's like it's like like that that kind of thing like there's no you you can't reason with with that thing like like it was it was playing the doctor the whole time trying to be cute and then it slowly you know converted and and was basically going to destroy all of New York, which to me is interesting because you see all the landscape of all these places and stuff. So there's <laughs> there's very clear monuments like when when Ultraman Scott is in San Francisco and he transforms for the first time. It's like he's 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 his plane is slowly flying away from the Golden Gate Bridge before it crashes and he turns into Ultraman Scott. And then, you know, there's there's other you know, I mean, you know, I'm always hard pressed not to pay attention to this, but in New York, like there's the sunset with the twin towers and there's, there's this really great shot of Ultraman or Ultra Woman Beth where she's defending the, the city and you can see the twin towers and the Statue of Liberty in the background and all that kind of stuff. So there's, there's lots of cool. LaGuardia too. Yeah. 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 He's like, Oh, I'm yeah. He's like, I'm going to go straight to LaGuardia airport. So like, yeah, there's, there's all that stuff that's going on when they're in the middle of these battles. So I thought that was, that was cool. And you know, that, that always, I mean, you know, the twin towers always makes me take a little pause, even if I'm, watching something that's, you know, I guess, ostensibly retro like this, right? So you, you stop for a minute. And then, of course, they're headquartered in Mount Rushmore, which is always kind of fun and amusing. I mean, like, <laughs> the, the only other time I remember that being done, and I don't know, maybe Justin remembers other things, but, like, I remember that was in the Mr. Majestic comic book. Like, Mr. Majestic's Fortress of Solitude was Mount Rushmore. I, I can't think of any other examples where people headquartered in Mount Rushmore. It, it kind of reminded me of Kranzor Z in a way, because okay. it was like it was like they had this like big you know palatial mansion and stuff, and like where is Kranzor Z? It's beneath the fucking swimming pool, and it's like the le- the last place you expect it. And like when they're flying in, they're like, "Are we gonna fly into Lincoln's nose?" And then like his mouth opens. Right, right, right. Yeah. So I was like, he's like, ah, that's kind of cool, you know. I like that, you know. I, I will say, what what was the purple little baby thing? It was called Wylon in its baby form. Okay, I, I will say that it was not like a Mogwai because Gizmo was a sweet little fucking puppy, and every time that scientist turned her back, that little motherfucker was like, "You stupid bitch, I want to kill well, you." But 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 Gizmo <laughs> was the exception. He was the outlier, right? Like, what yeah, about yeah. like? What about Spike? Like Spike was a Mogwai at one point, but he still was an evil little fuck that like purposely like threw people into water to make them, you know, multiply. And she had like the one gizmo who was supposed to be a gizmo because like it originally was like, you know, like, oh, don't hurt me. And she was like, don't hurt him and all that stuff. You know? Yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, it, it, I, mean I, I think it was, again, kind of like the different versions of, of Ultraman in this. Like they, they had a nice variety of different monsters you know one was the cute harmless one one was kind of like this crazy cyber you know mecha godzilla war on looking thing one you know it's interesting because i keep calling it the biolante wannabe but like technically i mean i don't know like it, it, it's almost like a man thing swamp thing type thing like who who knows what really came first because 
I mean, the release date of this was technically October 12th, 1987 in the United States. It came out first in the United States. Even when it came out in Japan, it came out April 29th, 1989. But Godzilla vs. Biolante doesn't come out till December 16th, 1989. So it's, 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 you know, two years before at minimum. And if you're just counting Japanese release, it's, you know, maybe six or seven months before, you know, but still like, like that, that, that green shocks guy predates, uh, Biolante. So that's, that's kind of interesting. I, I thought you were going to talk about Manthang. I was like, no, Manthang came out in the seventies. What are you talking about? But uh, no, no, you're, yeah, yeah, you're correct. No, no, I was just saying like, like sometimes people debate, like, even though, even though like, like Swamp Thing and Man Thing were, were ostensibly created by yeah. a group, uh, you know, two independent people that happened to room together in the same like apartment. But it's like they just struck on similar ideas and one went to Marvel and one went to DC. And even though, you know, I, I think I'm trying to remember, I think technically Swamp Thing predates Man Thing or maybe it's the other way around. I forget. But regardless, okay. it's it's hard to prove like, well, the, these were both kind of being generated right around the same time and both came out like one after the other or even like like the doom patrol and x-men i mean sometimes people are like well which which technically count comes right. first well they, they they were released so close to one another it's like well who who then can prove like oh i generated the idea you know you know two years ago and then we moved on it in 1963 it's like the same thing with this like if they if they came up with green shocks, you know who knows? Maybe one of the guys at Subaraya was like looking at the script for Godzilla versus Biolante when it was in pre production and fucking swiped it. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like like who knows, right? Like yeah. I, I, it's hard to say. Like what what came out first or what came out faster? Like you know you never know. Yeah, but, I mean you can even even do like Fantastic Four and Challengers of the Unknown. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like all all that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It, it just some people seem to think on the same parallel. I mean, that, that shit happens. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that I have a whole lot of criticisms. I mostly enjoy this and, and had a good time watching it. But I think my one criticism, I think, would be that while I think they do like an OK job with, you know, the Wilford Grimley looking guy explaining like, oh, look, like, you know, you you, you are now the hosts to you know, Ultraman, right? Like, and, and, and that's why you survived the plane crash and they saved your life. And now you have to go fight, you know, space monsters. And like that, that was all fine. They did good exposition with that. But I kind of felt like if, if you've never seen Ultraman before, they don't really do a good job establishing what the Ultra Timer is for a new audience like like they don't they don't have any expository dialogue that's like oh we've been in ultraman form too long and now our you know our meter's going to start blinking and that means we're going to turn back to normal or we're we're going to have to you know fly away cuz we're getting weaker you know like they don't they don't explain any of that it just sort of happens and comes up in the middle of a fight and you're just supposed to i don't know i guess you're you're expected to know 
that that's bad. Like, I mean, you, you kind of can figure out it's bad, but you don't know why it's bad. Like, or at least to me, I don't think they did a good job of explaining that they only have a limited amount of time to be Ultraman. I, I would agree because I had watched Superhuman Cyber Squad, Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad, and like that that main character had that like you know limit. You know, he would have the the glowing dot. You know, be do be do be do. You know. When the timer on his chest changes from blue to red, Ultraman's energy will last for only three minutes. Fight on, Ultraman! The change of the timer to red is the sign of a pinch. In 30 seconds, he wouldn't be able to move. Ultraman's energy lasts for only three minutes. He wouldn't be able to move when the time is up. The color change of the timer is the danger signal. And it was like, oh, okay, I know that. So when I saw this, and I was aware of that with Ultraman, because I watched Ultraman Kiga later on in my life. So I was aware of it. But if you've never seen this before, you've never seen any Ultraman, yeah, they didn't say anything about it. It was just out of nowhere, just like they're... they're foreheads start blinking it's like they're running out of power my only other notes that i have written down is that the flying angels former commanding officer has the same voice actor as general hawk from gi joe so i thought that was kind of fun and this is kind of a shout out to justin like that whole i love you ultra force t-shirts like get your ultra force t-shirts hey baby you want an ultra force t-shirt like guy in New York that's like sort of harassing the doctor. I was like, I think that's who the kid grows up to be from Heroes Con that was like hawking <laughs> Mike Zek's table. I think he grows up to uh, be the Ultra Force T-shirts guy. Like, get right. your T-shirts, hey baby, you want an Ultra Force T-shirt? You know, go away, kid. I don't like the hard sell. <laughs> I remember that. But uh, yeah, I I like this. I um, I think it looked great. On Blu-ray, like I mean, yeah, yeah, I know, you, I know you really mentioned, nice. yeah. I know you mentioned maybe it revealed some like wrinkles, and it's fine. I mean, any animation from that era, it's like even if it's great, there's always going to be like a few spots where, right, you know, right. it, it doesn't look the great, the greatest. But I think the animation is really great in this. I think it's very smooth and fluid. I like the way the monsters move. I like the way the Ultraman and woman move. The way the jets move. Like I think it looks great. Maybe it's a little slow at the beginning, kind of like you say, Derek. Like I think, I think this would be a good like entry level thing for to show someone like, hey, if you like Ultraman, watch yeah. this. If you like it, maybe I'll show you the, you know, a series I think is good. But like you say, some stuff like the timer is not really kind of explained all that well. Like they they can they could do a better job explaining like. Uh, you know, what is an Ultraman slash woman like where, you know, they tell you the planet or they're from and all that stuff, but don't really say like, you know, this is Ultraman and how he, who he is and how he came to be. Like, there's not really a whole lot of that, but that's okay. I mean, this was meant to be like a backdoor to a series and they probably would have filled in the gaps. So maybe I can cut it some slack for that. I think this was fine as far as something I had never seen. The animation was interesting. And when I say that, it's not bad, not bad at all. And especially when I take into the account that Hanna-Barbera was like a part of this, it could have been really bad. It could have been very repetitive because I, I don't have a problem with Hanna-Barbera, but they, they are not like always considered the high point of animation, especially in the 80s at this time. So I guess grouping with a anime company 
to produce this was definitely a, a really fun like experiment. It, it's sad that it didn't really go anywhere. It's sad it never took off. I, I think this could have been like, you know, if properly commercialized and like, you know, hyped up, it, it might have actually brought Ultraman to the West, possibly. Who knows? I mean, this, this is definitely more palatable to a lot of Western audiences than like a lot of, at the time, you know, toku stuff. You know, this is cartoons. People love cartoons. Three heroes. You got your, you know, your wild card. You got your leader. You got your, you know, female, like, you know, compassionate character. Who knows what this could have happened. But, like, you know, it just, you know, apparently didn't get a full release or a proper release. So it it, it, it is what it is. Yeah, I, I, I agree with both of you guys. I mean, it was fun revisiting this on on the nice kind of HD Blu-ray and everything. And, and I think it is a shame that it didn't get to continue as like a full-fledged series. But, you know, it's, it's one of these kind of, now it's like one of these, you know, diamonds in the rough or, or hidden gems or whatever that you you come across when you 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 stumble upon a franchise you know like this is this is definitely you know a, a, an ultraman series that you sort of have to be in the know to discover i guess you know like it's not it's not on the forefront of everybody's mind when they they start even though justin said it might be a good starter for people i don't know that this necessarily is something that occurs to to uh, Ultraman hardcore fans when they they suggest starting off on the franchise or anything like that, but it it is it is you know certainly a, a limited time investment, right? Like you're only investing about like seventy or so minutes into it, and and it's something that you know again is is more digestible for a Western audience. So if the person you're trying to introduce Ultraman to is part of a western audience like you you may have uh, more luck like introducing them with something like this so yeah i i mean and and you know again i i thought it'd be fun for something to bring to big in japan because of the 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 animation studio and the the creators involved and everything and you know i i i do think the animation looks really great so i i enjoyed it <laughs> and Water Podcast, a weekly show about movies old and new, hosted by obsessive movie nerd Rob Kelly and a rotating series of special guests. From sci-fi to horror, dramas to family films, comedies to adventure epics, we watch it all. The Film and Water Podcast is part of the Fire and Water family of podcasts, available weekly at fireandwaterpodcast.blogspot.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. So if you guys have any other comments, questions, and or concerns, you can reach us at fanholespodcast at gmail.com. We're on all kinds of social media. We're on Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and we appreciate all the likes, hearts, shares, and retweets that we receive. And we can be streamed. We're over on Apple Podcasts. You can stream us on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Spotify, and Amazon Music. So until the next time, this is Derek, Derek WC, crashing my plane, turning into Ultraman, signing off. 
This is Justin signing off. Schwatch. This is Tony signing off. Scott, you promised. <laughs> and don't promise a woman nothing, man. Haven't you learned nothing, Scott? <laughs> promise nothing. No, just like it's so sad. She was like, Scott, you promised. Yeah, the one jealous guy, the scientist guy. I know he was no good. Like, <laughs> let's go get that fucked up Mogwai and destroy half of New York instead. You know, okay. after he talked to you, I saw him fuck five bitches right in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one for you, baby. <laughs> Watch that guy. Off, I guess Maddie's getting cock blocked by Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Scott got that big, big Scott energy, I guess. You know. <laughs> Watch yeah. me electrocute this purple baby Mogwai. Do you, do you think those characters, like those other scientists, would have been in like more episodes, like the one little German guy who was like, "Gott in Himmel, what's going on with the little fucking Mogwai shit?" Probably, yeah. 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 Well, well, the fucking golf course guy was just, like, fucking gone after, like, 30 minutes. You know, it was like, we're at our golf course. I'll so you talk to you every you, once in you, a while. I mean, he was supposed to be exposition guy. You think they would bring him back to be like, hey, and Windows timers flash. 
you buy some Quaker oats because it's <laughs> the right thing to do. You know, like you would say something, right? It's like, where are you at, sir? Like, sorry, I'm dealing with my diabetes. <laughs> you know? Yeah.